Welcome to Wisdom Seekers class. Today we're going to talk about um, this verse that we've been all quoting for the last several weeks uh, regarding not offering that which costs us nothing. So as I was, uh, as we've been discussing, you know, this premise of what our offering would look like and what we're willing to give on behalf of the purpose of the Lord, um, the verse itself, I just couldn't let it go. So I just started exploring if there were any interesting uh, aspects of the verse to look into their meanings and if it might tell us a little something uh, further than what we think it means. And um, it does have uh, a little bit of depth to it that we have not explored so far. Um, but I have this kind of in a couple of parts, so we're going to look at all of this and then maybe at the end we'll come to some conclusion that will astonish us all. <laughs> maybe it'll astonish me. <laughs> I think I'll probably be the most astonished. Um, but I, I was, I think along with you all, when, when there's something that comes, comes upon the house, a feeling that is generally accepted and felt by everyone, we're all, we can sense that we're just all at the same place. We're all um, desiring to move forward in the same way. Uh, we want what God wants. We're yielding ourselves for that. And most of the time, we, we don't know how to go about doing it. I mean, yes, we know to seek the Lord, but sometimes even seeking the Lord, you don't feel like you're doing that right. You feel like, well, I haven't really borne any fruit. It, you know, you, this doesn't feel fruitful. I don't feel like I'm breaking through. And that lack of breakthrough just makes you feel like, you know, am I really doing? what God is asking? Am I, you know, um, hearing him? Those are all the things that we say at every season, at every threshold of every breakthrough. This is not news to us, but still, when you're in the place of not knowing, you still don't know. <laughs> so it feels, it still feels the same way. So you're kind of in that place, but you're in a place of, of, um, of kind of a frustration but once the frustration subsides, you really, it kind of creates a hunger because you desire to get there. And so you start seeking the Lord more fervently. You, your, your prayers become a little more desperately worded. Um, but still, you're, you're going for it. And that, that's really what the whole point of growth is, is, you know, do you want to go forward? I mean, do you want this? Are you willing to do what it takes to achieve um, where the Father is taking you because He has prepared a place for us in the new season. He's preparing us for the new season, but without that, that offering that we're gonna give that will cost us something, we're not gonna get there because the whole point of, you know, like the, the chick breaking out of the egg is to gain the strength to survive once they get out of the eggshell. So we have to fight for this placement. It's not vying with each other. It's not vying even with the enemy. It's, it's, really, it's really coming to a place of, um, of um, sub subduing ourselves to go forward. We have to subdue our own uh, machinations, our own doubts, and our own, um, you know, asthenae, as it were. I mean, the things that, that appear to us to always hold us back, you know, our own thinking. So, 
and this, this is kind of where we are as a people. We've been discussing it all month, so I'm not giving you a revelation. I'm just kind of rehashing where the foundation of this teaching comes from. Um, so let's just look at 2 Samuel 24. This is a signature passage. I'm just going to read it, and then we're going to go through the different um, word derivations and etc. to to kind of map this out. So it says, And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Arana looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Arana went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground and said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Arana said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good unto him. Behold, here are the oxen for your burnt offering, here's the threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did, the, did Arana as a king give unto the king. And Arana said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. So in this instance, there was a situation. David had hearkened to the voice to number of the people, even though he had been told by his prophet or his number one fellow, you know, don't do this. Was it Joab? I can't remember who the fellow was. But he said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? And David's like, oh, I'm doing it. And so, of course, once it was done, David knew immediately that he had displeased the Lord in numbering the people, and people began to die. <laughs> it was not a good situation for the children of Israel and for David, because he was like, don't punish all the people for my stupidity. But this is what led to him going to um, offer this offering. That's what this is about. But the thing that, that first and regarding just that, that initial understanding. It makes me think of Saul when God told him to completely destroy everything, but what he did was kept, you know, he goes, well, I kept all these oxen and stuff so that I could give, an, you know, give a sacrifice. And God's like, this is not costing you anything to take those, the animals of someone else to offer, you know what I'm saying? So there we are. It's the same principle of just taking the easy road, right? But it wasn't just that. For Saul, it was disobedience. It wasn't just that he took the easy way out. And I think it's really important for us to, to make those distinctions about, first of all, our obedience. So what has God asked? Because that's part of the offering is going to be what God asked. But the other part is going to be what our perspective is on the offering we're bringing that's just ours. And that is, is it going to cost, it some, cost us something, or is it just the easy route? Okay? So, but let's look at the word offer, because this is really what caught my attention to begin with, was the word offer. 
and um, it and because there were several other things I was reading and it correlates to something else I was reading that also caught my attention and I thought oh wow these are the same and so you know how those things kind of hit you and you begin to explore them because they're just kind of rooming around in there right well the word offer is what grabbed my attention and it's really on the surface it doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of meaning um, it's the word Allah Allah it suggests a movement from a lower to a higher place physically going up so when in the Bible it will say that they went up the mountain or they went up to a place that was northern located northern in a you know geographical situation but it also is figuratively going up or a spiritual going up it is used so we're going to look at obviously the spiritual aspect we're not going to look at every time they went up a mountain okay because there's 900 verses here so it is used a lot okay um, I chose a few verses that have to do with our relationship and coming before God just to demonstrate what David was doing okay so it, it speaks also of the relationship to a person's appearance before God. They would go up before the Lord. It didn't mean that they actually went up a mountain to do that. It meant that they were rising up, and <laughs> that meeting before the Lord is at a higher place. It is you are like looking up. Everything you do is about that, that upward climb spiritually. It's hard to describe, but I think as intercessors, I think you all know what it means to come before the Lord. You're going up when you do that. So it describes that appearance going up before God to go up and stand before the Lord. But there are several um, derivatives that all find their root with this word Allah. And one of them is interesting. It's the leaf. Now this particular section of the teaching doesn't really go to the end point, but it is interesting and I wanted to include it. Mainly because in the first four or five instances, there are signature verses for us. And there are other words to describe the leaf or a branch or something that shoots out. But in this instance, the word leaf is used when um, Adam and Eve sewed the fig leaves together. That was the leaf that was used. And then in Genesis 8, when the bird brought back the bird, the bird, the dove, the dove brought back the olive leaf. It is also used in this instance. And then in Nehemiah, when they were um, uh, told to build the booths, they went out and got all types of branches of these trees, and this is the word that is used. But the one that really struck me the most, of course, it was Psalm 13. You'll be like tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf will not wither, and whatsoever he, he does will, will prosper. And there were probably, I'm just going to guess now because I didn't actually count, maybe 20 to 30 verses that talk about this word that is, um, I don't know how you pronounce it, Allah, because the other is Allah, so ah, I don't know. But you see the word there. Um, and in a lot of occasions, the word leaf that is used is whether it actually withers or it doesn't wither. So that was the importance of that word being used in those verses. Because um, you think about when God would curse something, he'd say, you're going to have a tree and the, the leaves are going to wither. 
I mean, that was the cursing of that. But we're to be trees of righteousness where our leaves do not wither. They are continually sourced from the one above, you know, by our intercession. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. But Why did you say that when I had water in my mouth? <laughs> I nearly spit it out. <laughs> it was all I could do to, to keep the water in. <laughs> that would have been great, though. Wouldn't that have been great if I'd spit it out? <laughs> Sorry, Adam, just kidding. <laughs> well, I think that that, I think you've made a valid point, prophetic. Monica. I think it's very prophetic. <laughs> now we know. He had a leaf that didn't wither. That was very important. <laughs> I think we can go home now. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm sitting next to your mom, so. <laughs> yes, that could be rubbing off on you. She's rubbing off the on The fact you. that she didn't say she it was. She tells me I'm causing trouble, but. <laughs> I don't know, if she had said it, I think I would spit the water out. <laughs> she was thinking it. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of it. Okay. Oh, Lord. Oh my goodness, recovery, recovery time. So sorry. No, don't apologize because I'm always in. I'm always in for laughter. And that was a good one. Um, Elion is also a word that comes from Allah. And this is interesting because, and it makes sense because um, since Elion means the highest and it means the most high, if our Allah is to move up, obviously the Elion is the objective. That's where, that's where we're headed is that moving, movement upward to the Most High. So now let's get into um, our verses that include this word, Allah. Under the Feast of Adonai, it's Exodus 34, 23 through 24, it says, Thrice in the year shall all your men's children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. So when they went on this pilgrimage, which cost them something to do this, you know, you have to recognize the trek they had to make in order to, to fulfill um, this mandate of the Lord, but they they knew they were going up spiritually in order to participate in the Feast of Adonai. Um, let me see if there's anything else about that that I needed to say. Okay, continual burning. So Leviticus 24, 1 and 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they bring unto thee pure olive oil, beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. So there were several verses in Leviticus discussing the lamps, lighting the lamps, and the burning of the lamps. And those words like to light the lamp or to, the lamp to burn is this word Allah. So I just can, uh, chose this particular one because it really speaks of, number one, um, the children of Israel had to bring the oil. And we've, we've talked about the pressing of the oil of oil, olive oil, the olive oil, 
you want to say it. The olive oil, the pressing of it is what is the pressing that we um, are engaged in with the Lord to bring forth that oil. And so it's our oil that can obviously makes the lamp to burn continually. This is discussing obviously the temple or the tabernacle, but for us, we know it relates to our, our own burning and that continual oil that we are to be processing as we die to self, as we commit ourselves to this walk, as we are obedient to what God is saying, as we don't back down no matter what things look like, when we don't doubt, you know, all the things that we do in order to stay obedient, in order to stay in alignment, I mean, all those things are, are things that, that are humbling because you, your pride, the way you think it should happen, what you expect, what you want to happen has to continually be pressed down in order to accept what God is actually giving. And that is what causes the, the oil or the lamps to continue to burn. Positioning and perspective. Numbers 13, 17 through 19. And, and Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, um, get you up this way southward. How do you get up southward? See, you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't always mean you're going north. I just thought that was interesting. But go up into the mountains. So there, they are going up. And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak or few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether they're in tents or in strongholds. So basically, this is when they were being, when Caleb and his other brethren were we're told to go spy out the land. And then we'll go ahead and read Numbers 13, 30 through 32. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So first of all, positioning and perspective. The positioning was they had to go to a higher place in order to see what was happening in the land. Physically, that is what happened for them. Spiritually, for us as watchmen, we have to be higher than what's going on in order to see what's going on in the horizon and what the enemy's doing. So still, it's a very relatable thing for us to know that we have to go up to be able to see what's happening in the land. But then we have our response. What is our perspective when we're looking out there? If we see giants, are we running? If we see that the people are, you know, a bunch of scallywags, are we thinking, ah, hopeless? You know, if we feel like they're, we can't corral them or we can't motivate them or it, whatever we see when we're looking at the land, what is our perspective? Can we go up? Can we achieve this? Are we able to do what God is asking us to do? Yes, in this instance, we're talking about warfare you know, that was physical in nature, and they were looking at giants, so that was what, that's what scared them. But for us, there will be warfare, but there could be many things that we see that make us faint of heart, that think that we can't follow through, that think we can't be successful. And we just, it's always going to be the question, am I willing to sacrifice everything to do that? I don't care if I fail. That's what your perspective has to be. 
If God's saying to go up and do it, I got to go take my feet and do it, whether it looks like a failure or whether it's a success, whether I'm you know, winning, losing, or drawing. It's not about what our feeling of success is in this instance. It's about we're just doing it, and I may lose my life doing it. But is that going to be the promise? You know, the promise is they would take the land. God was going to give them their enemies. So that's, you know, we have to just believe, you know, God's going to give this to me, but I'm willing to lose everything in order to just do what he's saying to do. So again, when it comes to our offering, you know, this is our offering. This is how we position ourselves before the Lord as we look out onto the land. So proper placement, going into the promised land, um, in the land of promise, this is another um, perspective of that. So they're actually there and God's telling them what, uh, what's up. What, what's he, what is he expecting of them? Well, I think you're making a good point because um, think about it. Were there people that did or lose their lives when they did? Certainly were. Yeah. Absolutely. And they went up believing and they made their offering. Yeah. So you will lose your, you know, lives will be lost. I mean, we, and all of our lives are appointed unto God. So what that is in this, whether if it's in this spray or in the next spray or in whatever instance that our lives are lost, it is still an offering yeah. unto him. And I think in all of the, all the battles I can think of where God gave them victory. They still had a lo loss of life. Yeah. yeah, indeed. That's right. So let's look at Deuteronomy 12, 11 through 14. <coughs> Excuse me. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and maidservants and the Levite that is within your gates for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you I'm glad he always brings that up um, take heed to yourself that you offer not your burnt offerings in every place that you see but in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of your tribes there shall you offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I command you. So this stood out to me in that, okay, the offerings that were, were offered, this speaks generally of the people. But this word was not used to really describe what the priest did on behalf of the people. Now, I did not do a study on the different offerings, like the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, which were often used in this instance, most often used in this instance, because there were several things that they had to do, you know, to atone and the things like that. So there are different words that are used for those things. This word was mainly used for Solomon, David, Abraham, Ezekiel, um, Things like that. So kings and leaders is where this word is used to bring an offering, to offer burnt offerings. So also the word offer is the Allah, and the offering word 
is an offshoot of that, Ola, that means the burnt offering. So they're offering the offering, and they're of the same word. And we can understand what Ola would mean because this, the smoke, right, the aroma is going to ascend from that burnt offering. But that's a different, it's still a different word from our offering. I think when we offer, maybe we're offering ourselves. And that is in itself an incense before the Lord as we come to do what God is asking. But here we have God telling the people, I'm giving you a specific place to do this particular type of bidding. And you can't just go anywhere and do this. It says, you're not going to offer these burnt offerings in every place that you see. So there could be other opportunities to offer what God is requiring of you in your placement here. What God is saying, this is where I've planted you. This is where you bring your offering. Doesn't mean you can't go anyplace else. It just means what, where are you finding, where is that offering coming from that has to do with your identity, that has to do with where you stand, with what I've called you to do, what your assignment is. I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. And I'd never really seen it that way before. Okay, let's look at prophetic expectancy. 1 Kings 18.41, we're talking about Elisha. And he said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elisha went up to the top of Carmel. So he literally went up on the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked. Well, how is his servant going to go up any further? He's not. They're at the top of the mountain. So the servant is basically just posturing himself in a position to see something. Okay? Because I think that Elijah was crouched down, but I don't think that his servant crouched down as well. His servant was just present. But he said, hey, get up and go look. And so that's what his servant did. And it came to pass at the seventh time. He told him to do it seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, Behold, there ariseth again, this word Allah, a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. So this passage really, talked, really spoke to me about um, how we are prophetically obedient to, to do the funky things, this, the crazy things that you know, that, we, that they really don't make any sense. And, and the way we stay in that positioning until the answer comes. Um, you know, I think about the, all the prophetic things that were done in the Old Testament that give examples of this. Because you would think that if you're just asking for rain or God says he's going to bring rain, you know, what would you need to do in order to make sure the rain comes? I mean, the God's going to bring the rain, right? But he's wanting something from us that cost us something. I mean, we are partnering with the point of rain, the point of provision coming. And we know this whole thing with Elijah. I mean, there were just all these things that happened. Boom, 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 boom. And this is just part of the story and all the, I mean, crazy, miraculous stuff that he was involved in. And everything he did was so intentional. And it was, there was such a level of commitment in what he did. And that is what this verse spoke to me about him um, believing for rain, but doing so in this odd manner. Um, and then appearing before 
uh, Yahweh Elohim, which I said that because the verse itself is kind of has both of these um, aspects of God in the passage, but they're named at different times. But you'll you'll see what I'm talking about in Second Second Chronicles, one verses six and seven. <clears throat> Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the before Yahweh, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and he op he offered a thousand. Would that take a month? I mean, how how do you burn a thousand animals? Anyway, he offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did Elohim appear unto Solomon and said, Ask what I shall give thee. So we know that this happened after Solomon became king and he was instructed to do this. So he obediently did it. He offered these thousand burnt offerings. And I know the word offerings there is going to be Olah as well. So, but what happened as a result of that? God came to him and asked him what he, what he wanted. And that's how that exchange was um, kind of set up. It was in that offering from Solomon. The ascent. This is really this is the other verse that I had been reading um, that caught my attention actually before we started talking about you know offering that which cost us nothing. Um, I had been looking at this word ascent because I oh this is such a weird thing that the Queen of Sheba said and so I had been looking into this. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't do anything with it. I was like, well, oh, that's so interesting, <laughs> you know. But then whenever I came across this other verse, I'm like, oh, my God, I think those are connected. And so they were, and I thought that was really cool. 1 Kings 10, verses 4 and 5. When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom <clears throat> and the house that he had built and the meat at his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers, their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. So she had heard about the wisdom of Solomon, but her response, besides there being no more spirit in her, she said, I had heard about this and didn't believe it, but now that I'm seeing it, it's even more than what anybody said. So what she had seen, though, was a demonstration of Solomon and how, how God was in this covenant blessing, blessing Solomon, blessing all of his people. They were all walking in a committed point of relationship with God at this time. We know that Solomon later began to uh, worship other gods. But at this point, his heart was right before God. And all of his people were blessed because of that point of covenant, covenant that he had made. And the fact that they were all in their places, all doing the thing they were supposed to do. And she, but for her to notice, and I see how you go up before God. I see that. And it really begs the question, I mean, was she aware of how other people worshiped their gods? Had she witnessed, you know, the atmosphere of other kingdoms, uh, even maybe her own that did not have this? I mean, you, this is a level this is like, this is a whole new level, right? She's witnessing the presence of God and the spirit left her. She was so overwhelmed by what God was doing in their midst 
that, that she, I mean, the spirit no more was within her. And, you know, she was completely just um, baffled by the whole thing and overwhelmed by it. But I find that uh, really an amazing testimony of what a people who have covenanted with the Lord and when people come to inquire, and did she come because she doubted or because, you know, I don't know what her perspective was, but I feel like her heart had to have been open or maybe it was just so overwhelming, she couldn't deny it, right? But when people come here, when people see us, I think that this is what they see. Yeah, they, you got your cupbearer or you have your manservant, you know, you've got your prophet, you've got your, you know, you've got your people doing their things. And I think people see the way we run this ship and they are overwhelmed by the things that God is doing here. Because I know this is normal for us, but I can tell you this ain't church normal. Because there really is a level of unity. There is an alignment. There is a thing that they can sense that God is doing and that we are of one mind regarding that purpose. I think that's amazing. So I do think that we, I think, I think people, uh, you know, I was reminded of something that Marie Francois said to me when we went to France and I was a part of that, one of those early trips so many years ago. And she told me uh, many years later, we were having lunch with mayonnaise on our lettuce. And because, um, you know, the, <laughs> they've got a way of doing things, right? Well, anyway, over mayonnaise and lettuce, she said, well, the reason why I was um, so attracted to, um, to y'all and your message is because um, you all came in and you laid down and prayed and you prayed right through lunch and you didn't get up while everyone else, you know, no one else was doing that. She said, I've never seen anyone Proscuneo, of course she didn't know what Proscuneo was at the time, but later she was like, you, you went to Proscuneo and you, the devotion, she saw something that she had never seen before. And we weren't even in our own home. We were someplace else. And she saw that and it changed her. And she did follow us for so many years based upon that. I mean, our message obviously, but that's what she punctuated it with. What she punctuated it with. And I thought that was really interesting. Okay, let's move on. We're doing all right. Um, let's look at the word nothing. Um, this word nothing is a grace word. Every root word of the word nothing is hen, grace, hanan, stoop, ben, gracious, and the other derivatives are all about grace and supplication. That is crazy. Okay, to me, that's, that's what? So it's not just about offering something that, you know, is of little significance? No, we're talking about this commitment of our grace walk. That is what David was saying. So let's look at these words, these, these passages that have this word in it. And then we're going to, we'll circle back to David's offering. Job 1, 6 through 11. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, um, Whence camest thou? And Satan, I'm sure he said it like that. Hmm, whence camest thou? Mm -hmm. Satan answered the Lord and said, 
from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, touch all that he has, and he's going to curse you to your face. Well, this is what Job's, this is what the enemy saw. Satan saw that Job was living the life of Riley. He was living the life of ease. God was blessing everything that he had. I mean, of course Job was going to love God. But what this says is that Job was a man of grace. He had committed himself to everything that God had put before him. He had been obedient and faithful. And there is the reason why he had a hedge about him, that he was blessed. But see, the enemy didn't see that. Okay? But we can't, we can't ignore this because this is a huge principle about these, what we know about grace, our commitment to our grace walk being obedient to everything that God says. And in Job 2, 3, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, this is after the initial testing, and he says, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil? And still he holds fast his integrity, although you moved me against him to destroy him, even though he is a partner of grace. That is what this says. I, I just think that, see, okay. So we are partners in grace. And when things come against us, when things happen, and I, I know that there are many ways to describe this, okay. But let's just say the enemy is giving you some business. And you're dealing with the enemy. He's on your tail. You know, he's trying to take you down. And you, everything you do seems to be completely washing out. You know, you're just so discouraged. You can't believe all the stuff that just are not going right, not going your way. And so the enemy is there making all these, you know, atmospheric situations that you're dealing with. We got to be like Job. We got to recognize no matter what, we're not going to curse God because of our circumstance, right? But also, we need to know that this is happening because we are partners in grace, okay? Secondly, as partners of grace, we know that God will allow these points of growth because there's only growing in grace. There ain't no sitting around. So if you're a partner in grace and you're growing, then there's going to be situations that you're going to have to overcome or there will be no growth. So it is just something we have to deal with. Okay, these are not principles that we don't know, but I just think this is a cool way to look at this. I hadn't looked at Job in this, in this way before, but we know that, that Job hung in there, and ain't none of us saw what Job saw. None of us. But we've, you know, we've had our own.
but we have to recognize that everything that we go through, all of our circumstances, the place that we're in, the fact that we're not breaking through, the fact, the fact that we don't have thousands of following us because we have the most amazing worship team, because we, you know, all the things, you look at other things and you think, you know, how come they seem to be having this and we don't have it yet, we're these partners of grace? Well, all I can say is, if you're a prophet, you're gonna be nobody. And I don't even care if people do recognize, I mean, because the people of the land recognized Elijah as the prophet. Didn't mean they followed him, but they certainly knew he was the man of God, didn't they? Okay, so the, the fact that we, we are just exhibiting this prophetic lifestyle, we are nothing. And there's nothing like feeling like nothing than when you're nothing. You can't be something and still feel like nothing. I'm sorry. You can't do it. You know, we were laughing yesterday about the weather and how when it was 108 degrees for three weeks, when it was 96, I walked outside and go, oh my gosh, this is so refreshing. <laughs> Listen, things like that change your perspective. All of a sudden, 96 ain't that bad. I can do 96, <laughs> right? So perspective is everything. So if your reality is you know, blossoming, blossoming flowers and rose petal walkways and adulation on every side and you're so amazing and so wonderful. And that's exactly what your perspective is gonna become. I'm an amazing and a wonderful person. All my paths are rose petals, rose petal paths. And I mean, you gotta, you gotta give God some credit He's trying to get us somewhere, and the path is one of sacrifice, it's one of obedience, it's one of lowliness, it's one of relationship. And that's what this grace walk that we're on is about. And Job really was a forerunner in that. He really did exemplify what we must also exemplify. So these next few verses are about David and the way that the enemy attacked him, or in that first verse in 1 Samuel, um, let's go ahead and read it, 19, and Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father, and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his works have been to thee were very good, for he did put his life in his hand when he slew the Philistine that no one else would slay. slay. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all of Israel that day. You saw it, and you did rejoice. Wherefore, then will you sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? Because David is a man of grace. He is committed to his grace walk, and he has performed his particular assignment under Saul perfectly. He was completely obedient and, and uh, honoring of his leader. And so, you know, he, Jonathan knew, of course, that David hadn't done nothing to deserve um, what his father was doing. Enemies of righteousness. Um, I'll go ahead and read it. 35, 4 through 7 and 19. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Let them be as chaff before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. I tell you what, David knows how to pray about what's going on in his <laughs> with him, doesn't he? I mean, he is really addressing the enemy. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid from me their net in a pit, and without cause they have digged for my soul. 
Let not them that are in mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. So, you know, do they hate David because he's committed to God in the walk of grace? I mean, there's just, there's ways to look at this, but the main point we need to recognize is that it says, for grace they have hid from me a net. For grace they have digged for me a soul. Because they, they, there's no word without. That is a word that is added to this initial Hinnom word. So we have to look at this through the eyes of the understanding that we have regarding what grace means. Um, in this Psalm 109, it says in verse 3, They compassed me about with their words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto the tapila prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. I think we have really experienced this over the years where we have been rejected when we have given you know, our love and our devotion to, and commitment to their walk as a saint, and um, they have rewarded us evil for good because their actions, though, may not have affected us because they came in toward on our house or something like that. It still was a raw action against us. But that word to Pila, the prayer there is related to the Palau prayer, and it's where you're fully exposed before a judge in that intercession and then Palau itself is to, to judge and to make those proclamations. Um, then we had this last verse regarding David. Psalm 119, verses 161 and 162. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that finds great spoil. So in this case, I brought this verse in just because it did talk about the word. And I feel like, you know, regarding the last 27, almost 28 years, if there was one thing that was our stay, it was the word. No matter what else was going on, we had what God was giving us in the way of revelation, the way he would speak to us personally, the way that he would lead and guide us through his word. It has, it has strengthened us it has caused us to overcome his word has really been what has brought us to this place today and i know that we're all very thankful for that uh graceful dealings i don't know if i'm gonna have time to do this and then also cover my last bit of beeswax uh, but the graceful dealings have to do with the way we deal with other people of grace strive not with a man who's on this grace walk and be not a witness against a neighbor that is in this walk of grace, okay? Um, judgment, Ezekiel 14. I, I do like this, this verse. It says, uh, verse 22 says, Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and you shall see their way and their doings, and you shall be comforted, Nakam, concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall Nakam you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, says the Lord. To me, this is talking about um, you know, Israel repenting, turning around, and because of the evil that God brought against them. In other words, God did something to bring them back. And it goes, 
you're, you're going to see the Nakam. You're going to see this, but it has to do with what I did because of this partnership of grace. He's going to do things. God, we can, I mean, you can, he can use the enemy. He can use whatever means, but he will do stuff to get you back on track. And right there, it called it evil. <laughs> he will use raw to bring us back. I wonder, what links would you go to to save your child? What you do may end up hurting them in the short term, but saving them in the long term. Or I should say, save them. it's going to hurt and save in the short term. Sometimes you're going to take great action, and the action you take is painful, right? Well, let's just say even, you know, our, if we spank our kid or something like that. I mean, yeah, it's going to hurt, but it does reap a greater reward of obedience, right? All right, let's get back to our, to our main topic. Second oh. um, Samuel twenty four fourteen. So we're we're back at our signature passage, and I highlighted the words <clears throat> um, after the word nay. Those are the words that are in Hebrew. All the rest are the way it was translated. Okay, <coughs> excuse me. So he says, I will surely buy, you know, with a price, offer burnt offerings to the Lord God, nothing. Those are the words that you see highlighted. So we know that David was not willing to bring his offering that was not a part of their commit, his commitment of grace, that relationship that he had with God. That's what he's talking about. I am in this great partnership, grace partnership with God. I am accountable to him for what I do. I am in this covenant, and I'm not going to offer that which is not required of me through this grace relationship. That's what he's saying. Yes, I mean, to say that it doesn't cost you something, I mean, that's very poetic, and it does actually mean the same thing because we know that any offering of grace is going to cost you something for your promotion, or in this case, for God to stay, you know, the killing. You know, he said, okay, I, for, I am treated of you of the land, is what he said, and I, I will stay this execution, <laughs> basically. So whenever we come before him, we have to offer that which is commensurate with our grace commitment, my grace commitment to him, your grace commitment, your walk of grace, your walk of grace. There are things that are going to be required of us in order to move forward and in order to um, grow and see the fulfillment of what God is doing. And I just think that that is a really cool way to... Um, to look at this verse through the eyes of grace, not just, you know, off, you know oh, okay, I'll give you this because I really, you know, I think this would be make you happy or whatever. We have to look at it through the eyes of relationship and what we've committed through our walk of grace. I just think that's amazing. But then the other thing that was really hitting me earlier this month along with that verse was this one about counting the cost because I do feel like this, you know, David had already determined in his mind, 
I'm not going to offer anything that didn't cost me something. I'm, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I know my, what God is asking of me right now. That, he was already there. But if you're not there, and you've been walking this walk for 27 years and nine months or, you know, whatever, um, what if you're looking ahead with an eye toward, I wonder if I want to go forward. I wonder if I can do this still. I wonder if I'm willing to give that up. I mean, I've gotten really comfortable with this. Um, I'm not really willing to let go of that to go forward. I don't really like the way these things are. Do I want to keep dealing with this? Or would it be easier to come over here and not have to deal with that anymore? Um, your cat, so you're, you're looking at the horizon. You're looking at what's before you. And let's look at this verse. I'm not going to read it. You know it. You're intending to build the tower, but no one does that without sitting down first and counting the cost. That word literally means a stone that, you know, you, you count the stones. You're counting, you're enumerating, you're computing. This is part of what you do going forward. You look at all the things, you count them up. I mean, you're actually laying out all the things that keep you from being like David, who already knew his own mind. He already knew what he was going to do. He'd already decided and made that decision. And in this second um, instance in verse 31, what, what king goes to war without first sitting down and consulting? Now, I recognize that when he says, yes, he's, he's bringing about a situation that everyone can um, relate to. Whether you have, if you only got 10, if you have 10 people and they've got 20 people, can you win? That's what he's saying here, basically. Um, but what consult means, it means to deliberate with yourself to come to a point of determining, to resolving. And the root word of that actually means to will or to be willing. So when you are consulting yourself, when you're counting the cost, you have to come to a decision of what you will do, what you are willing to do. Will you do anything yet in this new season? Will you forsake everything again? in this new season. And I do think that the reason God wants us to do this is because we have to be quick when, because when push comes to shove, in the moment where David had to do that, that point of offering, he did so because, I mean, I think when he said, oh my God, I've sinned against you. I mean, he, you know, he'd already come to that decision. So when he made his offering, he did so according to grace. But where I think anytime you come to a new threshold, you've got to determine whether you're going to make it because that resolve is what actually gets you through the next season. For me, it's like a, a covenant that I make or a vow that I make. You know, you have these seasonal vows, as it were. I have some vows that I've had that have lasted me, you know, they're the same over the years. But I think that we come to a point where we say, I will. And when you're in the midst of the season, and the, the, how many does it say? Your 10,000 meets, you come against the 20,000. So when you're 10,000, you're coming, coming up against the 20,000, you don't faint. You're not lost because your resolve has been determined. You're going to do it no matter what when push comes to shove. But right now, I feel like 
we're all saying, okay, am I willing to do this again? Am I willing to give everything again? And I would take the time to count the cost and enumerate in your own head all the things that trouble you or that are your naysayers or whatever else because you're going to have to be the one that addresses those things later when they're the very things that could take you out. The one thing that you just can't, I just can't bear this anymore. That's it. That's the last straw. I can't do this. Whatever. I mean, that as we go forward, I know that you can feel the weightiness of the responsibility and um, the it's funny when you compare today to the beginning days. You know, do I want to repeat those days? I don't want to repeat those days, but there are some things about those days that I want to repeat, and that is I knew I was doing whatever I was going to do, and it didn't matter what anybody said. I mean, there was just, boom, we were doing it. And that was the feeling of the house. I know it wasn't just me. We were all going forward, um, no matter what anybody said, no matter who came against us, no matter who left, no matter what was going on, we knew what we knew, and we knew it, and we were going to do it. And today, we don't have that same honeymoon thing going on, so that's not, you know, our little outside cushion, making us feel good, even though there's bad stuff happening out there. No, we're now we're warriors. Now we're people with authority. Now we're people who, you know, we're sons being given this responsibility. We're not in the playpen. We're not, you know, round and round and round the throne. Um, in the, you know, because we're playing out in the yard and in the sprinkler before the throne of God. I mean, now we're the sons who are running, you know, running the kingdom. We are those who rule and reign. And so the responsibilities and everything about what is being asked of us is, is on a completely different level. So we do, we need to stay in that place where we are communing with God, that we come before him, that we, we are... Um, I don't want to say that we're lifted up, but you get my meaning, that we are lifting our eyes and lifting ourselves as we come to appear before God. And that is where we're going to gain our strength. We're going to gain um, the information and the revelation, you know, the, the strategy. You know, whatever God has to, to be telling us at that time that is in his timetable, that's where we're going to get it. And then we need to go forward bringing forth what he's requiring because this is a walk of grace a walk of grace that we are completely committed to and i know that for me i you know i'm still counting the cost i know what i'm doing i i know so it's like when the lord told me to grow my hair out i mean it took me a couple weeks and actually i look i asked for a confirmation and that's why I did it, because I got the confirmation. When God asked me to pray at night, I didn't answer right away. I mean, when I tell the Lord I'm going to do something, I totally mean it. I don't give my answer quickly, because I, I, I actually know what I'm really thinking. I know myself. I know where my hiccups are. I mean, I don't know them all. I mean, obviously, there are probably things in there that God hadn't shown me yet. But you know what I'm saying. You have to know yourself, and you're the only police the only policeman of those things. So, we, 
you, you have to look at this and make it a serious consideration for you. I know that I am. I know what my answer is going to be, but I have to walk through the things and say yes, okay, yes. And I have to give my vow, my promise to God that I will go forward in the next season giving what is necessary because that is my strength. That is what fortifies me. I have made that promise, and I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to be separated from him. I don't want to be in a position where I'm not um, able to fulfill what he's asking of me and of this house, my part in it. What is my part? You want me to clean the chairs? Okay, I'll just clean the chairs. That's what I'll do. I mean, I have to accept my role no matter what it is. And there can't, I, I, there were years of doubt and contending and not liking and all that. You know, those days are over. I just have to say, all right, I'm a chair cleaner. Got it. <laughs> and clean those chairs, you know, play my music and love every minute of it. I'm telling you, you that's, that's, where, that's where we are. And while I'm not, that's not my problem. I've, I've accepted my chair cleaning responsibilities. But there are still things out there that, you know, that I'm, I don't know. I just know. I just I know what they are. I don't have to tell you what they are. Um, but you got your own business, your own your own uh, fish to fry, as it were. And uh, so I just bless you in your seeking. Um, and I think just to end this, and I'll say a prayer. Cause we're at ten o two. My word yesterday from first Saturday, I just had such an overwhelming feeling about us overcoming. You know that we have to fight for this. And I, I know I was speaking to myself, Stacy Joe. You gotta fight for this. You have to contend for the faith that was once given to you, Stacy Joe. You have to fight for this. You have to want this. This has to be as important to you now as it was 25 years ago. You, ha you are the one that has to value this. And then the other verse was um, you know, pressing towards the mark. You have to press towards the mark. The wacky thing, because I was, you know, gonna, I was looking at that to, te to teach on that, I thought. Oh, we've taught on this so many times, but it's the word mainly for persecute, something actually pursuing you. That's weird. But that's how we have to press towards the mark. We have to press toward it in the same fervent, you know, un unrelenting way as the enemy pursues us. That's how we have to pursue the mark. Anyway, I appreciate all of your attention. Um, today and I pray that this word has been edifying to you and um, that it you know gives you something to um, something further to take before the Lord for yourselves uh, father I thank you for this word and I'm so thankful for the way that you speak to this body and how it is you didn't give me this word you gave probably five or six people this word I heard this come out of so many people's mouths and so I know it's what you're doing and I'm so thankful for the way that you speak to us. And so we do come to you and we ask you, Father, to give us what we need to overcome. Help us to be those partners of grace. Help us, Father, to take hold of your, just uh, of the hem of your garment and to not let go. And I just pray a covering over this house and over the houses of the saints. Father, do what is necessary. I know that sometimes it feels very difficult and even painful, but Father, we are your children who want to learn, who want to grow in grace. So 
do what you must do in all of us in order for us to come to this next point of service before you and with you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.